0: As we begin this school year, I mentioned a few weeks ago how busy I've been trying to keep this podcast going on a weekly schedule. I reached out to you, my amazing listeners, for support, and I am so, so thankful to those of you who have offered donations and pledged to support this work. To those of you who are using my affiliate links, every little bit helps keep using them. I also just realized a few days ago that my website had a glitch in the checkout process of the shop. So if you tried to buy a t-shirt or apron or tote or something else and got stuck, it should all be fixed now. Thanks to your help, I have been able to bring on an amazing editor to help me with one episode per month. My goal is to turn over editing entirely to her so that I can focus more on the content and on rolling out some other helpful community programming and resources. Stay tuned for more about that. I am so thrilled to be working with Jalene Smith. Jalene is a podcast editor and virtual assistant based in Alberta, Canada. She is creative and uber-organized. I mean, I thought I was organized, but she takes it to the next level. So if you like this show and want to help build up this community, head over to teachingartistpodcast.com support to see the many ways you can support this work. I would also love to hear how you're doing. And I mean, really, how are you doing? Have you started school already? Are you being asked to achieve the impossible task of teaching online and in person at the same time? Or teaching from a cart with no passing time and no shared materials, or more distance learning to traumatize students who desperately want community. I am full of anxiety and I'm trying so hard to be okay with the abundance of unknowns right now. I did just finish a week of incredible professional development focused around decolonizing curricula including unpacking what that means and how even that term can be problematic. And I am both inspired and overwhelmed. If you're feeling anxious and overwhelmed, full of questions and full of feelings, just know that you're not alone. So this episode with Yvonne Kunz was recorded back in May and edited by me, A little note about the audio. There are some moments with odd background noise, but it's totally listenable and worth it. Next week, I'll be sharing a conversation with Karina Esperanza Yanez, edited by Jalene Smith. I had such a great conversation with Yvonne Kunz. We covered so many topics from using art to teach English as a second language to what's working well with online teaching to finding and creating opportunities as an artist. Her work is beautifully layered and meaningful. I loved hearing how teaching kids helped her move towards a more nuanced style, away from shouting and towards a conversation around the issues of the female experience, domesticity, fertility, and the many issues women face. We also connected over being from Montana and claiming that place as one of the many places that feel like home. Yvonne Kunz is a working artist and educator working in drawing, painting, and encaustic. She is from nowhere or everywhere, depending on how you look at it, after a nomadic childhood as a military brat, although she now considers Montana and the Pacific Northwest home. Yvonne holds a B.A. in visual art from the University of Washington, an M.A. in teaching English as a second language from the University of Delaware, and an M.Ed. from Montana State University. She has shown nationally in cities such as Seattle and Chicago, and internationally in Tokyo. She is currently represented by Gallery 110 in Seattle. In companion with being an artist, Yvonne is a K-12 certified art educator. She is married, has two sons, and lives in Olympia, Washington. So hi, I am talking to Yvonne Koontz, and I'm so excited to hear more about your artwork, your teaching, everything. But I really like to start with kind of the background. Where did it all begin?
1: Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. and
0: Yeah.
1: It was fun to talk to fellow art teachers and artists, and I guess teachers in general. Yeah. Where did it all begin? Once upon a time,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love it. Over forty years ago, how did I become an artist? Where did it begin? You know, I was born in Montana and I consider Montana home. I love the vistas, I love the horizons, and seeing mm-hmm. being able to look out and see from miles. There's a reason why it's called Big Sky Country. I I live in the Pacific Northwest now, and I while I love the trees, I really really miss those horizons.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and well, you know, you're from Montana, and yeah, there really is like a sense of place that gets in your your soul, your bones. And I mm. realize I'm always going back there in my mind, although my work is not landscape based at all. So my mom, when I was about two, she joined the Navy. Which in the early 80s was a pretty bold thing for a woman to do, especially a young mother. Yeah. And that took us on this trajectory where we just moved, moved, moved mm-hmm. all over the place. And mm-hmm. I think I counted it out once and I went to 11 different schools between oh. kindergarten and 12th grade. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three high schools, oh. two middle schools, and a bunch of elementary. And that experience just, it does something to you. I mean, it it does a lot of things to you. You can, I came away with an ability to get to know people very quickly, Mm -hmm. but also this very palpable sense of angst in me. Like I just need to constantly be on the move. So that Mm -hmm. habit of moving has been really hard to break. So, But I'm trying really hard. (laughs) Pull a stable job down. Yeah. So moving around so much, there's this sense of like you're either from, you know, as a military brat, as we call ourselves, you are either from nowhere or you're from everywhere. Mm -hmm. And really just kind of what do you want to take with you? Every sense of where you've been? Or was it just too overwhelming? And you kind of I think I went internally, which is where my artistic practice came from. So I do say I'm from nowhere, although I'm trying to kind of be a little more optimistic these days and say everywhere.
0: It's hard to have sort of black or white, like there's no grays in there when you have you can only choose nowhere or everywhere. There's nothing in between. That's
1: a good point. Because yeah. ultimately, like your whole life experience, there's a ton of in-between. And uh-huh. and as you get older, you know, the memories blur together and it gets harder to recall very specific details and memories. And it's just this general sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, though, because I've spent more time as an adult out of the military life, I do consider Montana and the Pacific Northwest home. Yeah, so it started my dad was an artist and Ugh. watching him continue to make as we moved around was a huge influence on me just seeing a consistent artistic practice no matter what life throws at you like in his case and my case also we you know he and I not together but we both had two kids sorry <laughs> 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 you know having children and yeah. trying to have a life it's it's really challenging to keep your art practice going but he was a great inspiration and to just see how to do it yeah and so I wanted to be an artist from a very young age I think because of him and it started with in the 80s back in the 80s Mm. the Miss America pageant was a really big thing yeah and I would watch it and I would draw my version of the Miss America pageant and I would draw 50 women and like Draw different gowns for them, and different hairstyles, and different shoes, and I would work on this forever. I would even put their sashes with their states. And since I I had already been at that point to many different states, it was like, oh, the ones that the state that I don't like or don't remember (laughs) going to, like you don't get the very nice dress. So, (laughs) (laughs) and then I would have you know the winner, and so that was I was thinking about that the other day, and I think that's really cool to just have like a series already going when I'm about seven. So, yeah, amazing. (laughs) When I went to college, I I went to the University of Washington and I majored in visual arts with a concentration in painting and had no intention of being a teacher. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad being an artist and the male teachers in my program, they were always saying, if you can't, what is the saying? Like those who can do and those who can't teach.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh. Basically, they should just like, uh, usually it's the male teachers that are saying that. But yeah. it's like ironic because like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was adamant. I did not want to teach. And I thought I didn't like children. I didn't want to have kids. And the next thing I know, I'm graduated and I'm trying to be an artist and I've find myself married and soon to have a child and so the whole thing just turned upside down my whole world did yeah yeah and I found that that trajectory gave me focus whereas before I didn't have any in my work really and I found it gave me kind of a universal subject matter that I feel like as as a woman I had experience I could talk about and Mm -hmm. express in my work and it really just like this this and there was a lot of angst around it too. I, you know, because it was, it was sudden. I didn't, it changed my life overnight as, as pregnancies do and mm-hmm. becoming a mom. And I didn't feel prepared. So it gave me a lot of content for the next few years to work on within my work. Fast forward because I don't want to take up all your time. With <laughs> you. Oh, but I love it. When my son was two, I went on a residency to the Montana Artist Refuge. Mm -hmm. And this was in Basin, Montana. And it was, it's no longer around, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but it was a lovely little residency run by a bunch of artists who live in Basin, Montana, like population 250. And I spent a month there and it was a way of going back home. It was a way of kind of looking forward. And I left. Montana and went back to Seattle where we were living. And I told my husband that I think I could live there. Mm. So we moved to Montana and we had another child. And I kept working and making art. And it was like some of the most productive years of my life. And then having a second child, it just came all grinding to a halt where I felt like this was getting harder. And also, I was just working jobs that I didn't feel satisfied in because that we needed to bring money in. Mm-hmm. I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. So, and I didn't necessarily know if that meant teaching, but I I thought there's got to be a better way to raise a family is what I was really thinking. Yeah. So I put it aside for seven years to get two master's degrees (laughs) and try to figure out what was going on. What was was I going to do with my life? I went to the University of Delaware and I got a master's degree in teaching English for a second language. And I... Mm -hmm. Knew I didn't want to. At the end of that experience, I knew I loved teaching, but I discovered I didn't want to teach adults yet. Mm-hmm. And I kept trying to bring art into teaching ESL. Yeah, and I actually had a lot of success. There's like a lot of room for research and using art to teach language acquisition.
0: Oh, um, could you talk a little bit about that? Like, yeah, <laughs> take a little yeah. sidestep from <laughs> the history and <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, you know. When, especially when students are, we call them newcomers, mm-hmm. when they don't have the language to fully be communicative in English, you know, working in pictures and imagery mm-hmm. is a great way for them to still get their thoughts across. Right? Right. And we talk about this in art all the time, that art is that it allows kids to express what they don't have the words for, you know, even English speaking students, native speaking students. It allows them to express what they don't have the words for. Well, you take a student who's working on their second or third or fourth language, which English could be for some of our ELL students, and it's the same. It allows them to express higher order, more abstract concepts as well. And it also kind of gives them more kind of a richer experience. So, for example, one of my one of my students whom I'm most proud of with my work teaching ESL he was a fourth grader from Mexico and he came to this country with no English. And I, it's very customary to kind of start with like simple nouns and phrases when you're teaching English. And I started with a, with a community unit, like this is the post office. This is the grocery store. Mm -hmm. This is a fireman. This is a teacher, like very noun oriented. So I had him make puppets Ooh. and we basically built a little set, like a community. He built a house out of construction paper. He built puppets and we put them on popsicle sticks. And then we wrote a script, which I had in practice many times. Oh. And then, okay, I put the script down and he said, go. And I had an iPad and we filmed it and he acted out his scene using his puppets and it was amazing like he was just a chatterbox because he had the whole rich experience of thinking it through while making his art through the act of writing and now he had the language and the, was able to express himself more fully
0: Ah, oh, amazing i love that story yeah it was, it was uh, really cool yeah and
1: also i use i don't know are you familiar
0: with visual thinking strategies yes yes vts
1: yes and now i'm branching into Well, I don't know as much about like the thinking routines by Project Zero. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I've briefly seen those as well.
1: They're very similar. They've kind of branched off from the VTS. But VTS is great
0: also for language
1: acquisition because it helps students to use each other's vocabulary and you can build Mm. off of it and model proper grammar. But then also you can use like culturally relevant imagery. Right. Which may excite them.
0: So, yeah, like
1: that's how I kept bringing art back into ESL, and I was like, you know what? Why don't I just go be an art teacher? So I oh. went and got a second master's degree to get certification. Wow!
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: and here I am.
0: Long story, yeah. but a great one. Oh. And I've shied away from getting another master's degree to get certified. So I commend you on that, <laughs> going back and getting more schooling. I actually want a doctorate. Oh, uh, I love learning. I just, yeah, love it. I love it. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's so rich to be in school, but then. I feel like I would struggle to do that because all of my schooling happened before I had kids and before I had such responsibility. I mean, now I'm so burdened with student loans at this point (laughs) that I'm like, I can't take anymore. (laughs) That's
1: what keeps me from fully pursuing a doctorate is having two children now, not wanting more students. And also my art practice, because I'm like, you know, if I if I do that, I won't be able to make art as much. Although there are paths in academia that are starting to consider like an artistic practice as a form of research. Yeah. And so not just the MFA tracks, but like the doctorate tracks, but
0: (laughs) I don't know. Maybe something. I know that's more common in Europe as well to to have like a doctorate in an artistic practice that's like a level beyond the MFA.
1: Yeah, yeah, we should have it here. We
0: should. (laughs) Time to. We
1: should also have affordable Uh, higher education.
0: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, and how how old are your kids now?
1: I have a fourteen year old and an eight year old, two boys. Uh, Yeah. The wide gap in between was me making lots of art.
0: Yes. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And now you're teaching at the elementary level.
1: Yeah. and That's also been just this meandering route to get there. I'd never expected that originally. So I've only been teaching art for three years. Mm -hmm. And so I started off in high school, just getting a emergency position, like somebody backed out of like mm-hmm. the week of school. Oh, wow. So they had an emergency hire position. Mm-hmm. And that was challenging and exciting. And I learned a lot. But then that was a one-year position because I was, it was a leave of absence replacement. And then that mm-hmm. teacher came back and I had to find another job. And I just went from interview to interview to interview. And it was really just discouraging. Mm. The last interview with this elementary position, and it worked out. But still going into it, it's like, ah, do I want elementary? I I remember I didn't want kids. (laughs) I didn't want to teach. Right. And it has been amazing. I love it so much.
0: I love it. I love
1: that they're excited to see me. And I love that they hug me. Oh, yeah. I love they get so excited with what they make. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to
0: go back. Yeah, they're so sweet. And yeah, the level of like enthusiasm and just excitement is amazing. Yeah. And I know that you also teach via tab teaching for artistic behavior. How yeah. did you kind of dive right into that or how long have you been Yeah, I was mulling it over mm-hmm. for a while, but
1: I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know that there was a whole approach out there that would support it. And when I had that transition between high school when I taught in a very traditional like project-based this is what we're doing today approach. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to just make a complete shift. And luckily, while I was teaching at the high school level, the National Art Education Association held their convention in Seattle. And I attended And as I was going from session to session, I kept seeing this tab thing, choice mm-hmm. face. So I was like, that's what I've been mulling over for years is I don't want to leave it teacher that tells kids what to make. I would hate if me as an artist, if somebody came in and said, make this. Mm-hmm. So I went to every session I could about choice-based art and teaching for artistic behavior. And when I left that convention, I immediately went out and bought that book, Engaging Learners Through Art Making. Yeah. Devoured it. And when the opportunity came to move into elementary, I was just like, I'm not even going to bother doing an easy trans- transition. I'm going straight in and just starting because I don't want to be scared about this.
0: Yeah. And how did it work? Did it, was it like a difficult start or did it kind of just feel natural and for you and the kids? The
1: kids were a little freaked out yeah, (laughs) because the previous teacher did not teach that way. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what? You want us to do what? You're not telling us what you want us to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit of a rocky start. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it if you're thinking about it because of my rocky start. I also had the added layer of going from high school to elementary. Yeah. And so right. I was learning also that I had to be more explicit with my expectations versus with a high schooler. I could kind of assume that they know some things like, no, we don't put paintbrushes in our mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, it was a bit rocky. But within the first month, I had kids making amazing things. And it was always an opportunity when there were hiccups to just go back and reteach mm-hmm. and revisit expectations. And I learned a lot. I'm still learning. Like this, this is the end of my second year doing tab, and I'm already thinking next year what I'll do differently and how I'll open new stations and how I'll teach new techniques. I might have to do that online. Sure.
0: Right. And how has that shift been for you? And I'm very selfishly curious how you are if you managed to continue some version of TAB while teaching online?
1: Yeah, I think the TAB actually lends itself better to this experience than, than otherwise. Mm-hmm. Because my approach to this has been, I don't know what kids have at home. And I don't know how much time they have. If they have somebody helping them, I don't know what kind of materials they have so i'm making lessons and i'm actually working with my PLC group we're all making lessons and sharing them that's good for K through 5 because mm-hmm. if you have siblings yeah. in a family then they can do it together we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from parents about this they are, they're grateful For the k through 5 approach. And so we give prompts and then lots of choices. And we're just assuming that, you know, kids might have access to paper. It could be any kind of paper. They might even just have a pencil. Do you have crayons? Do you have markers? If not, that's okay. You can use something else. Mm -hmm. So that's been nice that we've been able to tailor it so easily. And kids love it. Like, they they love that they still have the choice. So, for, for example, we did a scavenger hunt as the first lesson after we started remote learning, where it was, go get a piece of cardboard, go get something from outside, go get some form of adhesive, go get something round. And kids were able to just gather what they have, and they found some amazing works of art that came out, sculptural pictures, relief uh, so I think it's been it's been an okay transition and the tab has helped out there's definitely equity issues that are coming up we're okay. not reaching all
0: of our kids and that concerns me yeah in terms of technology
1: yeah and our district mm-hmm. did give chromebooks to everybody but you know just even like you know I'm reaching 10 of my 550 kids uh, yeah and I don't know where the other <laughs> 500 are uh. Yeah. So yeah, this is not sustainable.
0: It doesn't feel sustainable at all. Yeah, yeah. And it feels to me anyway, it's felt like a lot more work, like so much more time put into this version of teaching than when I was just in the classroom with them, which, you know, is like, I still need my studio time yeah, and my family and all of that. that. Yeah.
1: Especially, I don't know if you're making videos. I haven't done that. (laughs) Some of my colleagues have, but it's like, it takes a lot of time. And then like,
0: who's watching this right yeah yeah and then I've had concerns over how to share those videos my schools have kind of said it's okay just put them on YouTube and it's fine but then they've also said well some kids block YouTube so they might not see it but that's okay (laughs) I'm like "Uh, I don't
1: know yeah yeah that's where Google Classroom comes in really well. You can upload mm-hmm. them. That's what we're using. Yeah. But then also if kids aren't accessing it, it's like yeah. we just don't have the control because when they're in our classroom, we can give them the materials, show them the demonstrations. But when they're out in the world, we don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've been really missing being able to give feedback and like have discussions, have more back and forth. Yes, like in in real time.
1: Yes, and I'm doing Zoom meetings with my kids with kids who show up. Right, and most of the time I cannot see their art over Zoom. I'm like, put it up to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back up. I can't see. You're too close.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, we'll get through this. Yes.
0: <laughs> Yes, and have you also been kind of managing your kid, your own kids, learning through all of this? Oy, trying to juggle that. Trying. Yeah, it's
1: hard. Yeah, I thought being a teacher, I'd be able to do it, but I can't. I don't <sighs> know Common Core math. <laughs> I'm oh, just like, yeah. Like, just add it together. What are you doing with this number oh. line? I don't understand. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I told my my daughter's about to turn five. So she's like, still preschool. So she doesn't really have any, like official school assignments or anything. And I told some of the kindergarten teachers (laughs) that I work with, like, I'm so glad she's not actually in school, because I don't know if I could even handle your math. Yeah. Like the most basic math. Don't give it to me. (laughs) Don't give it to me. And I've just been saying, do
1: Khan Academy. And my son's like, I don't like Khan Academy. And I'm like, it's the only thing I understand. (laughs) I mean, I was good at math when I had to do it in school, but it's like, it just feels so foreign the way it's taught now.
0: Yeah. And I keep hearing that it's that it's like more intuitive, but it is hard when it's not the way you learned. Yeah, Like, I feel like I would have to Sit in on a class or something (laughs) like sit in on one of my daughter's classes in math.
1: Yeah, and get the language. I think it's really just the language. Yeah,
0: I don't know what they're
1: talking about. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Uh, which I guess happens in in any subject. You know, we talk about things like value, and it's like, well, what is value?
1: Right.
0: You know, if you're if you don't know what that means in art, not exposed
1: to, and I think that's what keeps a lot of parents from fully engaging with their kids. Mm -hmm. I think this is like a time where you could, I am having a lot of family engagement
0: in the Mm -hmm. lessons
1: because I think I'm making it accessible for them. Nice. But I think there is the stigma, like if you don't, if I'm not an artist, I can't draw. If you don't have an entry into the world, then it can feel very
0: intimidating. Yeah. And how do you think, like, what do you think has been successful to make it accessible for them?
1: I think the choice. Mm-hmm. And having the prompts be accessible enough that it's an easy start for kindergarten. Through fifth grade and parents and not not making it very high stakes in this time. Yeah. So we're not really going into, you know, these are the principles of design and these are the artistic element. But it's more well, it's more along the studio habits of the mind, which is what I use in my class mm-hmm. anyway. So like this week I just taught a lesson on observation. So I had the kids run and get at your favorite toy. And they all came back with something else. And then you know, especially the younger kids, I have them trace it with their fingers with their eyes closed just so they can get like used to the idea of a contour and mm-hmm. now let's try that with our eyes while we're doing it with our pencils and it was amazing to see just how well they did and honestly like I don't know if I would have gotten that success in the classroom because there was the buy-in of getting something that means something
0: to them Mm -hmm. They
1: wanted to show me the drawing based off something that they cherish. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely benefits and I'm really learning and excited about the potential for this. Like I'm thinking next year, if we, if we have to do kind of a hybrid or a blended model, how can Mm -hmm. I flip my classroom where kids are looking at videos that I make or, you know, learning about the concept or the technique or the artist, the content And then coming into the
0: classroom and making.
1: Granted, that only works if you have kids showing up online.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's tricky. It is. And have you used any other resources online? Like I've just kind of started to try out things like Padlet and Flipgrid and all of these options where kids can add their own responses. I okay, so we
1: can't our district doesn't allow that because of their reasoning is everything has to be backed up. So what's that like Seesaw app you know, mm-hmm. we can't yeah. even use yeah. that because the district wants to be able to to retrieve any communication. Mm. Uh, so I'm not doing that. I know that we could do we do like screen Is that okay? Yeah. So no, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> because I hate computers. I I really don't. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm really (laughs) unhappy with how much time I'm spending on my phone right now.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yes, (laughs) I know. It's like, how do we continue reaching students, being safe at home and not being on the computer so much? Like, how do we how do we accomplish these things?
1: That is Um, something I'm thinking about the future, though, kind of making more content mm -hmm. for the kids. My students have asked me to make a YouTube
0: channel. (laughs)
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: they say they'll subscribe. <laughs> sweet. Oh, oh. They want to see you over I the know. summer. I know. That's really I sweet. Know. I do miss oh. it. Have you still gotten in any time for your own studio practice your own yeah. art making yeah I, how are you kind of fitting it in
1: it's kind of in fits and starts in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. I was going really strong after we went into stay-at-home orders so I, I've designed kind of a, a system to keep myself working as an artist while teaching because I saw when I first started that year at high school like how it can just take over if you let it yeah and I didn't want I didn't want to keep having summer be the time where I make art. It it takes so long to, I mean, having summer to only be the time that I make art. It takes Mm -hmm. such a long time to kind of get back into your groove. So again, at that convention in Seattle for NAEA, I went to this session where a fellow teacher was talking about how she just She did took on this project where she did a painting every night. And I was just like, I I don't think I could do that. (laughs) But it did leave me with this idea that I could do like a small drawing, though, every day. And so it took me a while to kind of implement this. But just this year, I have started a project, which I'm calling the 100 Drawings Project, where Mm -hmm. I'm just, my goal is to get to 100 drawings by the end of the school year. And it hasn't been as fast as I wanted it to. I'm only at 50. (laughs) but Um, Halfway there. I know, right? And just one month ago. (laughs) So I've extended it. I'm giving myself to the end of the year to get to the 100. But what that did was it gave me some structure where I allowed myself to get into the studio, even if it was like a half hour, to just go in and make a drawing. And it... At first, my goal was like, okay, every session I go in, I have to like finish a drawing. But now it's, Mm -hmm. this is why it's slowed down so much. I say, okay, but I'm, I'm going to go into the studio and if it spills over into the next day, that's okay. But it keeps me going, keeps me going back in.
0: Yeah. And
1: as these drawings, as these drawings have progressed, I'm really just amazed with like the thread that is coming through, how I'm taking ideas from my teaching and putting in there, like a lot of pattern coming out you know and it's ironically we were talking about pattern a lot (laughs) this month and I'm just finding that I I see a way that I can translate that into my painting Mm -hmm. the drawings and they they just really have my practice alive I'm really happy with them
0: yeah that's awesome so do they do they feel almost like like a sketchbook type of practice or is it like, do you think of the drawings as this is their, like they're their own finished works, but they kind of inform the painting? They're a little both.
1: Yeah. I think they're all, I am offering them as finished work to sell, Mm -hmm. but there are some that are, you know, that are very sketchbooky where it's, you know, the ideas aren't fully worked out. They're just the beginning of something. And then there are others where I've been working through an idea for, you know, in a couple drawings and then once the culmination where it all comes together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just a daily practice. I think you need to keep yourself going somehow. And this is a way that I've found after many years of looking after a way to find that. And then that's like Monday through Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday, I generally spend about two to three hours painting in the studio. Nice. And it feels like I've done enough work during the week to like go into the studio and have like a, a good starting point where I don't have to like warm up and get myself into a frame of mind.
0: Right. Yeah. And you work in Encaustic. Could you talk a little bit about your process? So encaustic is painting with beeswax. So the beeswax is like the
1: kind of the vehicle for the pigment. It's the carrier Mm -hmm. like oil would be or water for watercolors. So it starts with melting the beeswax medium. Sometimes you can make your own where you put like beeswax and Damar resin together and them are resins like this resin from a tree from indonesia i believe and you mix it together and you melt them and you strain it and i use rnf pigments pigmented beeswax so i don't have to mix the red the pigment in but some people make their own colors and then i have just palette hot palettes like hot skillets in my studio and I melt the wax on that and I just paint from that like that's my palette. So it's liquid on the hot plate. And then I transfer it to a, like a wooden support to paint on. Then you have to fuse it with a heat source. So I use heat guns and also torches. And they both like use different effects. So it's really nice to like strike up the torch and have this flame going. Huh. The watch, it just transforms it. You'll have like a really brushy stroke down and you can. Just put the flame over it and it just all blends together and softens. Mm. I love the effect of encaustic because it it creates these beautiful layers that are Mm -hmm. mostly translucent and they remind me of like those really old windows and old houses, like that are warped. And Mm -hmm. I like this idea of like looking through time almost, like looking through layers and just getting that like hazy memory, the bottom layer of the painting. Yeah then you can polish it up really well it's just so luscious it's like you touch it so much whereas with the kind of the complete opposite of oil painting where you're generally not putting your fingers in it it (laughs) it.
0: right oh I love how you also like it looks like you're kind of scraping into it in some places as well
1: Yeah. So you can do a lot. You can collage into it. You could do photo Mm -hmm. transfer and you can like, I'll inscribe in it and then sort of like digging lines into it and then I'll fill it with another color and then you can scrape away and it leaves behind these really nice crisp lines. And then you can fuse that and blur them. There's actually a lot you can do. It's really challenging. And I, I can't say that I feel like the master of this medium, but it's it's like you're always learning I'm always learning
0: every mm-hmm. time I'm in the
1: studio, like, how much more I can push it.
0: Yeah. And have how long have you worked with encaustic?
1: I've gone back and forth with uh-huh. it. I've been with it with it now for about five years. Mm-hmm. And then prior to my hiatus, I worked with it a little bit in college. I really was inspired by this artist I worked for briefly while I was in college, Betsy Eby. She does encaustic paintings, like really large scale, she calls it nature-based abstraction. Mm. And it was really just interesting Interesting to see her process of using this medium on such a large scale, getting like really beautiful translucent layers. And I kind of stored it away in the back of my mind as something that I'd be more of, but got sidetracked. When I had kids, I really wanted to move away from things that were I felt were toxic, like materials that were toxic. Right. So I did a lot of watercolor and collage fiber arts while my children were small. And I returned back to Encaustic five years ago, just as a way of like, because I was starting anew. Like I was starting from fresh after seven years hiatus. And I wanted right. to just like return to some of the ideas I had previously but kind of start without like complete without baggage. You know, I didn't want to compare myself to the work that I was doing before the hiatus. So this was a way of saying like, okay, I'm starting this thing that I had an interest in completely new so that I give myself permission to make mistakes and to be a student again. To <sighs> grace.
0: Yeah, I love that. And just the idea of, you know, giving yourself permission that it's It's almost something you have to like, say out loud, like, it's okay. Just make it. (laughs) It's okay. I have to say that every day. It's okay. (laughs) Oh, Say it in the mirror. It's
1: okay. Yeah. Like, it's okay. (laughs) Well, you know, like going back to that experience in college where like those Mm -hmm. that do, do and those that can't. Make or whatever that dumb expression is. I really feel like they, this idea of an artist is somebody who, like this cultural idea of an artist, is a person who sacrifices everything for their craft, is obsessed, is nothing else but an artist. And I really feel like that's unfair. Mm -hmm. I think it's unfair. It's unrealistic. And it's kind of, you know, it's a real male-oriented viewpoint. It's unfair to anybody who has a life other than this traditional male artist that we think of. And so when I was getting back into making art, I read like Art and Fear, which really, Mm -hmm. and parts of that really inspired me. And like How to Be an Artist by Jerry Saltz. And part of that really inspired me. But then part of it was just like, can we just talk to artists about like carving out time for themselves instead of putting all this judgment on like other aspects that they have going on in their lives? You know. Yes. You could be a parent and a mother and a teacher. Sorry. That's the same thing. A parent and mother. Yes. And a <laughs> you don't have to be male. You could have a job. Right. Just make time to make art and you're an artist. You can yes. to learn and you're an artist. <laughs> uh, wow. The yes. hierarchy gets to me.
0: <laughs> totally, I love it. Make time to make art, and you are an artist. I love that.
1: <laughs> That's what I tell my kids. They don't call themselves artists, and I was like, "Well, what'd you just make? Well, I made smart." And I was like, "Well, there you go. You're
0: an artist." <laughs> like, um, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Would you want to talk a little bit about the content of your work and kind of what what you're thinking about behind it? Yeah,
1: so my work is very based in the female experiences I see and experience Mm -hmm. And I know that there's other realities that women have. I can only base it on what I know, but that's being a mother, that's being a wife, that's, oh, I forgot to mention I'm an army vet. So that's also being an army vet. Oh, wow. And, you know, living a life as a military brat. And so I I do consider it feminist in nature. And my work prior to teaching actually was a lot more in your face with those issues. And what teaching has done is like given me, kind of shown me that I need to be more subtle and nuanced with my ideas, not because I'm teaching Mm -hmm. children. Well, partly because I'm teaching children, but partly (laughs) because it felt like I was yelling all the time in my art and I I want to kind of have a conversation now instead of yelling. Right. So I use devices such as wishbones in my work as like a repeating pattern and floating IUDs, Mm. which I like to think of as swarm. So I'll put like a swarm of IUDs all over my work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yeah, and lace, I use lace and doily patterns a lot. Mm -hmm. And usually the lace and the doilies are what I'm like scratching into the, the background surface. And the figure plays heavily into my work as well. So these devices, the IUDs, the wishbones, the lace, they kind of float and... Swirl around figures. They're starting to blend in with the figures now, which is this kind of new approach that I'm taking, new direction, which I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Where they're gonna like kind of merge in and out with the figure, and and you won't see a barrier. But I'm really mm-hmm. interested in this idea that these devices are symbols of, you know, what I consider issues that women face. This notion of fertility is forever in our minds. I don't know about you, but for me, it's like <laughs> you know i could get pregnant or what if i get pregnant or how will i change things or oh it's this time i'm a month it's like it's always there underlying yeah. your decisions and so the wishbones are like this symbol of hope and like what and even like the sense of kind of wishing for things hoping for the future potential and when you break the wishbone you know you could draw you get the big half or the small half and the doilies like domesticity has always been in my work even as like a teenager when I was making art domesticity was something that I really struggled with Mm. and as a stay-at-home mom I really struggled so it's kind of this ever-present piece of my art.
0: Ah, beautiful yeah and do you find the the time being in the army coming into your work at all? Yeah I do
1: Especially, it it reemerges every now and then when I start, especially around current events. Mm-hmm. So when women were allowed to enter into the infantry, I had a lot of imagery of female soldiers in my work. Also, you know, I I so I one of my favorite pieces I I did is a female soldier with a giant machine gun, and she's kind of looking out at this drawing, and there's like IUDs floating because even soldiers, women soldiers, like. You're, they're gonna be a mother. They could be a mother. Uh-huh. And like, what about that? Like that potential of just like these roles, which are just such in contrast. They're like opposing forces, really. Giver mm-hmm. of life and the potential taker of life. Um. How would how do you even reconcile that in your mind when you come home? And it's amazing. I, I don't. I. I thankfully never had that experience as a soldier being in combat. I. I really empathize with my fellow vets who do mm-hmm. have that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And your your mother was also. I mean, in the navy. So in the military.
1: Twenty three years. Yeah. yeah.
0: So just yeah. thinking about female female soldiers and that duality that contrast?
1: Yeah, we had the flip. So she was the, the sailor, the service person. Mm-hmm. And my dad was the stay at home dad artist. Yeah. And in the 80s, uh-huh. he got a lot of slack for that. And she got a lot of, she got a lot of misogyny at work and just a lot of uh-huh. pushback for being a woman in leadership position. And yeah, she's kind of one, one of the, my main influences for, think, for being a strong Woman. It's just my mom looking up to her. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, the other thing I wanted to dig into with the, kind of the art side is the business side of art and how you get gallery representation, how you kind of work with galleries and Where do you go to seek opportunities, all of those kind of things, like tidbits of advice for other teaching artists out there?
1: That's one part I'm still learning. Uh I am. I'm associated with Gallery 110 in Seattle, which is a artist run co-op gallery co-op in Pike Place. Arts area and i honestly just answered a call for art from them and was really excited when i got got in it's been awesome to start there because i i feel like i get a lot of chances to in shows, which every show I'm in at the gallery, it's another learning point. Like, oh, I could kind of step up my framing or, oh, I could work on PR a little bit or marketing a little bit better. And then the executive director of that gallery has been awesome to work with. He really gives some great advice. And then they have a mailing list, which is a huge asset because I don't, you know, I know elementary students (laughs) (laughs)
0: who maybe are not like art collectors.
1: (laughs) They just like their own art. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's been a really great experience. I've been with them for two years now. So, there's a couple of great websites artisttrust.org. Artist Trust is this organization in Washington state that mm-hmm. gives a lot of art support or support to artists. It could be financial, it could be workshops, but they also have a lot of classified. So, I look there pretty regularly for opportunities. And then there's also this other organization that's similar to Artist Trust in New York, New York Fine Arts, I believe. They have classified. NIFA. NYFA, N Y F A classified. Yeah. I look there. And then there's a ton of opportunities on Instagram, which I'm fairly new to Instagram. So I'm still learning about the whole like branding yourself on Instagram thing. Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. Like spending that much time on it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I'm still learning with that. But I also think artists can make their own opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, like we have art walks in Olympia where I live. And I've just been thinking like, well, before all the COVID stuff, like, you know, during these times when the, the public is out, like, why can't I just put a board up and hang my work on the sidewalk and have people walk by?
0: Right. Why do we always have to be asking for validation through a gallery? Yeah, just I mean, I've seen a bunch of that. Like some have I've seen things that are sort of gallery sponsored where people are sharing their art just outside their home or in their neighborhood. But I've seen a lot of artists just kind of putting their art exactly like that, just putting it outside of your home or like on your windows or on your front door so that your community is seeing it. And I love that. I'm like, why were we not doing this before all of this? Yeah, I hope. (laughs) Maybe I hope it'll stick around. I do Yeah. That's
1: what I'm really worried about is, are we just going to go back to normal?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hope all the good things that have come out of this stick.
1: Yeah. But honestly, like the business side, it, it is one of the aspects that really is challenging, I think, as a teacher, as a teaching artist. Because of that, like I said, I'm with elementary kids all day long. So I think one thing that artists could do if you ask for advice is find a community and be genuine, like, with, you know, mm-hmm. in your interaction. And just find the people who are interested in what you're interested in and could support each other then. I'm still looking for that here. We just moved here a couple of years ago. So I'm still really looking for that community. But it does get really lonely teaching, especially when you're the only art teacher in the
0: building. Yeah.
1: I think it's really important to find the people outside of the school who can support your artistic practice because the people in the school will support your teaching, hopefully. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) it depends on your school. But yeah, I think community is the biggest thing as an artist. It's finding your people.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that's something I hear over and over and like find your people find your community and it can be so tricky but yeah just kind of putting yourself out there
1: well and that's the other thing you talk about affirmations like that's what I've lately been realizing is like nobody's gonna find you if you don't put yourself out there right so just do it there's a ton of art in the world you know everybody has a different viewpoint everybody's making different things there's enough room for all of us yeah so just don't be
0: afraid yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) those mantras it's okay don't be afraid (laughs) Uh, people
1: like you yes (laughs) Uh, you know what i really need right now is a residency i really need Mm -hmm. that i needed it before covid and i desperately need it after
0: Uh, well, now, yeah, this is like the residency at home. <laughs> the, the COVID residency. Yeah.
1: Except mine involves children, like, interrupting me as I'm painting.
0: <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my, my husband has kind of taken on the stay-at-home dad role as his work has Like he's been laid off basically the time being and with the the idea that he'll go back whenever, whenever possible. But I've been teaching and I think he's, he's getting to a breaking point where he's, he and my daughter are both kind of like constantly interrupting and just like, we need like uh, interaction with someone that's not each other.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dad's driving me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's a lovely man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, he's amazing. He's been such a help through all of this.
1: I'm in the opposite boat where my husband is working out in the world. And he's a a service mechanic at a bicycle shop, obsessed with bicycles. And I don't know why, but people are buying bikes like crazy now. Yeah. And super busy working like 10 hour days. And I'm at home with the kids trying to work and make art and teach. Uh, Our house just feels like it's getting smaller and smaller and closing in on me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't. Uh, Yeah. We had about a month of like both of us trying to work from home full time and have our daughter like not lose her mind. (laughs) (laughs) And with just one child and that just one month of that was enough. <laughs> <It> was, yeah, was <laughs> I have such empathy for all the parents out there that are juggling so much right now. And I've been trying really to kind of keep that in mind with my lessons as well, like make it as sort of simple and like self-sufficient, like kids can do it, make, you know, anything that I type, I also put an audio Thing in there in case they either are so young, they're not at the level where they can read what I've written, or they just like don't want to read it. That's awesome. How do yeah. you do that? What do you use for that? I've been using Google Slides for most of my lessons. So I'll do like video demos that I embed in the slides, but then you can also upload audio files to Google and embed those. That's cool, and like set it so it'll autoplay when they open that when they present the slide. So yeah, that's been really helpful.
1: I'm use that if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of like all of the technology has been such. I'm sure for others as well, it's such a learning curve coming from like total zero tech in the classroom like you know we're cutting up cardboard and just making things with our hands all day yeah. versus yeah. now it's like completely online yeah yeah
1: I'm really impressed with how the community has rallied though. Yeah, NAEA has put out a bunch of resources and the Art of Ed has put out a bunch of resources. People are sharing lessons and it's been really neat just to not feel like you're in this alone. You don't have to reinvent the wheel either. You know, we're all just borrow. Right. You know borrow. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I've been including like in each sort of slide lesson that I send, I've been including at the end extensions. So, And those are all like almost entirely just lessons that other teachers have shared and put out there. So I'll say, you know, here's my demo of like this version of a cardboard sculpture you could make, but, you know, do what you want with it. And here's some other things that other teachers have done. So I yeah, I love that there's so much sharing going on.
1: That's one thing I think these art lessons can provide some relief for the, the stress that kids mm-hmm. are feeling. They can give them some distraction. And I think it's really going to be a source of healing for what's to come. Because yeah. honestly, I'm really scared about the mental health of our kids right now. I see it in my kids, and I, I worry about my kids who are experiencing homelessness, my kids who live in poverty, my kids who are undocumented. Like I, I worry mm-hmm. about all of my kids who have very real challenges in their life and what's what are they experiencing now. No art yeah yes do <laughs> oh. all the superintendents out there like art is gonna save our kids
0: and yes we need to really protect
1: our art classes in our schools.
0: yeah and i know we're we've been talking for a long time but i did want to talk about the program that or the project that you started art beat olympia oh yeah and i mean that's totally in line with this you know, advocating for arts ed, yeah, which absolutely I'm already seeing that it's the first thing they're cutting and it's just devastating to see that happen yeah. right now, while at the same time getting feedback. Like I've heard exactly what you said from principals, from parents, from other teachers that the lessons the kids are getting are really like a bright spot for them and so needed so right needed. now. Yeah.
1: So Art Beat Olympia was my attempt to advocate for art education in Olympia Public Schools here in Olympia, Washington. I don't work in the district, but I'm a parent in the district. And Mm. when we moved here from Montana three years ago, I was shocked. It's a small town that considers itself pretty artsy, didn't have art education at the elementary. And it didn't have it throughout their entire middle school. It didn't offer it in every middle school. Wow. And then the two high schools have it. But again, even at the high school level, it's not accessible to everybody for various reasons. So I was shocked to hear
0: this. Yeah. My mouth was dropping open. (laughs) You said (laughs) like not even the middle school level. Well,
1: it really depends Uh, on the
0: funding of the middle school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: So I don't know what it was. It just was a whim. It was National Art Education Week, which is like the week of September 16th, the second week, in, second or third week in September. And I was on my way home and I just happened to glance at the calendar for my son's school and it mentioned that it was a school board meeting that night. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go tell them, Hey, it's national art education week. And I just want to let you know, you don't have art. (laughs) And I did, I wrote out a little script for myself, you know, And I I put in some data, how art helps with retention, how it provides social, emotional learning, how kids who have art are more likely to graduate, how it promotes 21st century skills. And I just said my bit in the public comment section and they all kind of stared at me and then I was like, all right. I did my teeth. Well, (laughs) well, I thought that was it. And then I get an email from the school board vice president at the time. And she said, I've been thinking of, you know, about art as a, you know, how we're failing our kids for this for many years. And I'm really glad you said that. and, And we worked together to do something. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So she and I worked really hard doing a lot of research and she did a lot. She did a lot of research. She dug into Olympia's past and in her digging she found that nobody could remember when they had art. Ugh. It was kind of just amazing that like nobody had ever questioned why this wasn't. And when I lived in Montana, sorry, my stories are always so long. When I lived in Montana, no, okay. I went through this amazing program called the Montana Teacher Leaders of the Art Program, which is put on by their Office of Public Instruction and also their Montana Arts Council. And it teaches arts integration. And it's kind of came about in partnership because Missoula, Montana is one of the any given child sites for the Kennedy Arts Center which that program helps to bring arts integration and arts specialists into communities and to school districts and communities in order to increase, to close the gap, close the learning gap. And so I said, hey, look, there's this program, any given child, like, let's apply for it. And we started looking into it. And it always came back to, like, there's no money, there's no money, there's no money. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself. (laughs) It can't be that hard, right? Like, I I'm just teaching full time and making art myself. And so oh, I, no. I approached my son's school and I said, I'll raise money. And I'd like to hire teaching artists to come in and give art lessons to every class in the school. Because that was the other issue, too, is there's this docent program where if the, a teacher requests it, then they can bring a volunteer in to do an art lesson. It's like, well, not every kid is getting art then if, if you're relying on the teacher requesting it. Mm-hmm. So, and the PTA was really generous and kicked in some money. And I raised some money with a colleague of mine at the time. And we had enough for three residencies. So we were going to do three months of art. We were going to stagger them throughout the year, like spring or fall, spring, summer. We got two before COVID-19. Huh. To <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but out of that process, I also invited the assistant superintendent of the elementary school district and the director of K3 education and some other bigwig came to my classroom and they watched me teaching. They watched my kids in action. My mm-hmm. kids were amazing that day. They just were on fire talking about how much they loved art and how like independent they felt and that spurred the district Olympia into um, pursuing art education. And as a result, they this year, the 1920 school year put art into four high needs title One schools. And then they said that next year, it's expanding to the rest of the elementary.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: (laughs) It's the power of advocacy. Like that's what I could say. Yes. Teachers need to be their own advocates. And we need to advocate a student and we need to need to advocate for our programs and it's disappointing that we have to do that but we have to do that
0: but it also I, I mean that whole story just speaks so much towards your or you know any parent but your willingness to be like oh it's happening tonight I'm just gonna go do it and speak my mind and you know see what happens and then kind of just diving into this project and yeah. continuing with that mindset of like well we don't know what's going to happen but let's see what we can do let's
1: do it yeah and it's that's yeah. how i operate though i
0: dive in and
1: then figure it out later
0: Ah. <laughs> and look what happens. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope that they do expand. I'm really concerned
0: now. Yeah. 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 Well, they've seen the power of it and hopefully continue to see the power of it now and the need like the extreme need for it now.
1: Yeah, I have to follow up. And I think there's, you know, just like opening too early, there's a there's a danger in like letting off the pressure too early. Yeah. We have to stay engaged even when they say, like, yeah, we'll put our teachers in. Like, We have to see that they follow through.
0: Yeah. Like, send a little follow-up, check in with them. Yeah. 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 I'm writing that down. Yes. I love it. Well, Yvonne, I have a few just kind of like fun get-to-know-you questions sure. to start wrapping up. What are you curious about? Right now... I am curious about what the future will hold. Yeah.
1: I'm curious about what the teenage years of my son, my 14-year-old, are going to bring. Ooh, yeah. Because he being home with him, it's been amazing to kind of get to know him as a person, not just like my child. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that's been on my mind a lot. It's like, how do I be a parent but like step back and let him be an individual? yeah. That's
0: what I'm thinking about a lot. lately. Uh, And it almost feels like I I see a connection to tab in that, that, you know, that you're kind of like providing some structure or you have been for the last 14 years (laughs) providing (laughs) guidance and structure. And then you kind of step back and see, like, let him have some freedom. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, I hope. Yeah. Uh, he has to earn it. <laughs> Even if yes. they have to earn the freedom. And uh, Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, show me that you know the procedures. You can, you know, be responsible with the tools and clean up after yourself. And you're
1: 14. <laughs> take the paintbrushes out of your mouth.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. The basics. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Another kind of fun one. What is your go-to order at your favorite mm. restaurant?
1: My, again, before COVID-19, my happy okay. and I would meet for happy hour after school every other friday and it was really nice like i ride my bike to work most of the times and so he we would meet at this local bar and just get like a drink and some french fries and it was just like this nice transition where i could talk about work he could talk about work and then we could go home the kids would be there you know and then we could get into family life and friday night relaxed night so that's my i would say that's my go-to is like a basket of fries
0: with my hubby that's so nice yeah a little tradition yeah is there any way you've been you probably have not been able to keep up like a home version of
1: of that yeah my my husband did say like we need to go on a date and I was like where <laughs> was like, Do you want to just go in the, sit in the backyard I was like yeah <laughs> that's the
0: <worst>.
1: yeah
0: oh <laughs> we've been taking lots of walks. nice Yeah, and then is there anything else that you would want to share? The only thing I, Mm -hmm. you know, when teachers are starting out, I
1: think there's a lot of pressure to be a perfect teacher, and like we've been channeling Stuart Smalley all evening. You could just be the best teacher that you are, because there are no perfect teachers. Just like there are no perfect people so I just say like be yourself and you're gonna learn as you go along and you will get better in art and in teaching and your life will change it's all good it's okay
0: yes people like you (laughs) (laughs) yes I really like that idea of do your best right now whatever your best looks like today and that might be different from your best on another day yeah you know and just, just, just honor yourself. Yeah.
1: Don't be afraid to say like, my best is not very good today.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I organized this like online Pictionary with some of the other teachers, really like making them be guinea pigs to test it out for potentially doing it with kids as like a last week fun thing yeah and I I was like okay I know I'm the art teacher and I feel a lot of pressure here but I'm using my like trackpad with my finger so my drawings are gonna be horrible <laughs> and then yeah it was my turn and they were like I I, I don't I have no idea what you're trying to do tra- <laughs> <laughs> like how are why are you the art teacher? <laughs> right. Like you can't draw very well. <laughs> oh. That's funny. That's, that's
1: a great yeah. idea. I'm gonna write
0: that one down too. There's an app, like an online thing that's called Scribblio. It's S K R I B B L and then dot Io. And it was fun, it, like it worked okay. One of the teachers told me that Zoom has like a whiteboard option. I guess it does. Yeah, and she's used that to do a version of Pictionary with her kids, which are fifth grade, so it's like upper elementary. Yeah. But she she said, you know, there's it might be tricky for them to figure out the Scriblio thing. You might need to do like a demo video. <laughs> oh, okay. But she liked that it had like you type in your answer and it tells you if you've gotten it right or not. You uh-huh. don't have to like. Like everybody isn't shouting out their answer. Yeah, which doesn't work for Zoom anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's really cool. That's a great idea. We're trying to figure out a way to do field day. So
0: that might be an option. Yeah. Yeah. All of, for us, like all the specials are trying to, to offer, you know, fun activities, mm-hmm. just like a little, little celebration at the end. Yeah. I made it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, that idea of just, you know, letting yourself not be perfect and, being okay with that we're okay yeah Yeah. Uh, and really awesome i appreciate yes thank you so much a couple like just final questions is there anybody that you want to give a shout out to or or thank
1: yeah i want to thank trevor over at gallery 110 in seattle my mentor dr kim bowler she's been amazing to like bounce teaching off of and ideas for art and life and my mom and my brother, my husband and my children, and my dad. He passed away four years ago, but I still think of him. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah that's awesome. Oh, and then my school community. I love them.
0: Uh, I would not be without them. Awesome.
1: Yeah. You. And you. This is an amazing opportunity. And, oh, I
0: appreciate Thank that. you. <laughs> yeah. And final thing, where can listeners find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Y. K-U-N-Z artist educator.
1: And I also have a website, y v o n n e k u n z Y-V-O-N-N-E-K-U-N-Z.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a really rich conversation, I think. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. We kept coming back to mantras to tell ourselves, it's okay. I also loved what she said about being an artist and how she's working to break down that patriarchal view of the artist as someone who sacrifices everything for their art and is solely an artist. Yvonne said that this view is unfair and unrealistic and leaves out so many people. Simply make time to make art and you are an artist, period. Whether you're also a teacher or a parent or working in another field does not make you any less of an artist. Okay, rant over. The way she has advocated for the arts in her community and pulled her own art career back after her hiatus, in which she got two master's degrees, is so inspiring. Let's keep fighting for the arts in our schools, especially now where they're so very needed, Yet so easily cut from budgets. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.